I'm Sinead O'Moore and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast, supported by Water Wipes, who are proven to be purer than cotton wool and water and now biodegradable. From fertility to birth, pandemic parenting to taking care of ourselves, here we talk the insane joy and anxious defeat, the love, the laughs, the tears and the moments that we don't talk enough about. This season is supported by one of the most essential products for every mum, from that first nappy change to those messy weaning months, water wipes, the world's purest baby wipes. Made here in Ireland, water wipes are now 100% biodegradable and compostable wipes. With the same purity and quality as before, they are ideal for sensitive newborn and even premature skin. As the number one wipe in Ireland, together we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products, and this podcast. Meet Linda, the woman behind Women Ascend and the Better Maternity Care campaign, which has been fighting for the maternity care restrictions in Ireland to be lifted once it was safe to do so. Linda has been pushing for greater rights and equality for decades. But when she became a mother, she really saw how women can be silenced, disempowered and held back in so many ways, either through work or through the inequality of the juggle and in how decisions can be made about our care without us. Add a pandemic into the mix when without support or childcare, homeschool, solo labouring and all the pressures the pandemic placed on all of us. And she knew she had to use her voice and her abilities to create positive change. This episode was recorded before the announcement this week by the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, that all maternity restrictions were to be lifted in every hospital nationwide. A lot of questions remain as to how and why this announcement has taken so long and if it will actually happen everywhere. But one thing we know, the power to ascend when women use their voices together. Linda, thank you so much for joining me on Everyone the Podcast. I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because to be honest, I feel I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of you. And I'm really proud of the work that you have done um, over the last few weeks and months and no doubt years, which we'll talk about because everything has led you to where you are right now. And starting Women Ascend, a place to realize your power and use it with purpose for progress. How and why did you feel like we need this now? I suppose it's a combination of things really, Sinead. Um, I have spent the last kind of 15 years of my life kind of really since the middle of college really involved in kind of different equality campaigns and women's rights campaigns i've had lots of different experiences and engagement with lots of different women kind of across different spheres and there's a real unifying factor in that lots of people are experiencing issues i'll put it that way and internalizing them and feeling like it's their individual battle. Whereas I'm meeting them at such a level, I can see the trends and that these are really systemic inequalities that are still there in our society. And everybody's internalizing them that it's somehow something they did. Um, so that's been kind of brewing, I think, for a while. Then on a very personal level, I had a difficult birth with my first daughter three years ago. And there's a particular moment in that scenario where I felt I'd really failed myself, that I couldn't advocate for myself. 
and it left me feeling really lost personally and professionally because I felt well how can I go to work now as a trade union official and advocate for everybody else and in this really seminal moment in my own healthcare and in my own life I couldn't advocate for myself and that really was the pinnacle for me to realize I needed to create an outlet for this because I do not want another single woman to go through these experiences and think they are on their own or that they are somehow at fault for them. And it's really about that. It's about creating a community and about using, you know, using your own power for progress. That's what it is because we want to progress. I'm sick of seeing the statistics around the gender pay gap. Like there were 51% of the population, I'm done waiting. I just want to get on with things and get moving. And I think a lot of people do. And um, so that's really what I wanted. I wasn't kind of sure what the reception would be. Uh, because when you set up an Instagram page to kind of radicalize the women of Ireland, mm -hmm. you're not really sure how it's going to go. Um, but the response has just confirmed to me so much how it is how much it is needed and um, even from the first like prior to the maternity care campaign uh, we did a lot of work around these master suppression techniques and around power and understanding your basis of power and this was very early doors there was a few hundred people in the community at the time and the responses from people were incredible the honesty the vulnerability like for most of these people i'm a total stranger on the internet mm. and what they shared with me brought me to tears it made me laugh it was really incredible and that for me was just so affirming that this is actually something that can be really really positive for people and um, because inequality is hard to talk about it's hard to accept that you're being treated differently and i think it's really important that we can talk about it and we can name it but we can then also positively work to change it and i think that's always really really key for me as well and that's exactly why i wanted to talk to you today because i think that you've been given an insight through having those conversations with those women which as you said illuminated you to the fact that whilst so many are experiencing it so many feel alone in it and i wanted to have the conversation with you today because i want you to share i suppose what those common themes and feelings and experiences were because i'm sure people listening are also in those boats there's actually so many like so many crowded into my mind just there and um, i suppose one of the big areas uh, like um part of what spurred me into this was around work and the world of work and you know i suppose one of the things that happens a lot for women in work is that their work is diminished or they're passed over um, you know women even like it's not just politics where women aren't getting to the top jobs it's also I was doing some research recently like it's really poor as well in business in terms of getting to senior management and I think there are lots of 
it's almost like death by a thousand cuts. There's all of these kind of really small interactions of, you know, names being left out of reports, being ignored in meetings. You know, John next year has the same idea. He says it after you, it's picked up, it becomes the team's idea. And you're sitting there thinking, but hold on a second. I just put that out there. Um, and nobody ever mentions that you had the suggestion first. And so that's actually one of the things that um, I've been really heavily focused on was around work. So that's one thing. And I think women internalize all of that and, and they think I didn't do enough. I didn't speak up enough. I wasn't confident enough. And there's definitely been, I suppose, a suite of self-help books. And this would have been one of the biggest critique of, like we all know the Sheryl Sandberg book, the Lean In book. Like it's not enough to lean in to a system that is actively seeking to promote men over you. Like there is only so much any individual woman can do in those circumstances. I completely and agree. Like it's just, it's putting it back on the woman. You're saying, oh, you're not leaning hard enough. It's like, I'm leaning, but I'm up against a brick wall. But you're also up against systematic problems. So you're up against the fact that childcare is hugely expensive. You're, it's not publicly funded. You're up against the fact that in every, nearly every single decision-making table of senior import around the country, you're not represented. Um, you know, and so, yes, you can lean in, but nobody can lean that far or you'd be gone over the cliff. And then you hear the comments of, well, Mary over there made it to see your management and there is one Mary and there is not you know there's five Michaels and you know six other men and it, it has to be a critical mass of women at every decision making table at every team level meeting for it to really make a difference and for us to get away from all of the cultural like you know very masculine culture in a lot of these organizations and companies and politics if we're really going to affect change i believe though that the the crossroads happens when a woman becomes a mother and although we have you know same gender rising up through school rising up through college rising up through those early days of work motherhood is what i think creates that crossroads because i just think women are so unsupported that there comes a point where there are so many ultimatums. I think it's absolutely a really key moment because like the research shows for a lot of people, particularly in their career, that, that that's a, like you know like you say a crossroads for them around decisions they make around you know women choosing to go part-time women choosing to work less hours opting out of working late because they have other arrangements that they need to make time for like feeling unsupported while you're on maternity leave you know i've rarely met uh, women who have had a good experience with their organization around maternity leave it seems to be something that a lot of companies still really struggle with and it's absolutely a turning point for a lot of people. Like there's even a charity now in the UK, a campaign group called Pregnant, then Screwed, set up. A I'm a big fan of theirs. 
Um, and it's like, it's a very sort of abrupt name, but it's actually quite accurate for a so lot accurate. of experiences that women have. And like women still get fired because they get pregnant. Like that still happens in Ireland. Like it's not something that is removed from us. And I think, you know, you have different experiences depending as well in which sector you're in. Like if you're a migrant worker in a hotel and you tell them that you're pregnant, the chances are your hours are going to go down and down on the roster. And it's the same women in retail don't feel secure. And there are lots of intersections then into the inequalities that we face because women are more likely to be in uh, insecure employment. So where they don't have kind of a set number of hours, they don't have a permanent contract where they don't have sick leave. And more than half, I think the statistics are 45% to 55%. Only 45% of women in Ireland get additional salary on top of the state benefit mm -hmm. around maternity. And so a lot of people crow about the fact that we have paid maternity leave in Ireland. We don't. You get a state benefit from your tax, which is the maternity benefit, and then a small number of employers top that up. But actually, the majority of women don't receive that. And there are all these intersections then that make the problem so complex. And as you say, it builds up this ironclad wall in front of you that you feel like you can't fight it as one individual. You can't make any significant progress on it. And the easiest thing is to try and grapple your way through the system find something that you can make half work for you, get totally stressed out of it in the process. And then everybody's wondering why you don't have your kids in matching outfits every second day on Instagram. And it's happening at a time where we know that the feelings and emotions and mental health of women are completely, you know, being unsupported, not being heard, not being cared for, feelings of overwhelm, anxiety, self-doubt. And this is just before they're even back in the workforce. This is just as a result of the immensity of motherhood. It's a huge transformation. And I think we do ourselves a disservice by not having more honest conversations about what it is really like. But I think if we had more reflections on the multitude of emotions and experiences of being pregnant, giving birth, becoming a mother, it would, it would just be so much better because you, like I struggled so much in my first year with my first daughter. And like, I, I just remember, like, I still, like, you know, I still sometimes, you know, on those days when you're really sleep deprived and you have these moments of, why can't I do this? Why can't I be better at this? Why do I feel like I'm still failing? And I know now, because I've had two children, that that's the sleep deprivation talking. Mm. And that all I need is a few hours sleep and I will wake up and the gremlins will be gone from my mind. And, but I never knew that with my first child. And so it just became this vicious cycle of sleep deprivation and negative thoughts and sleep deprivation and negative thoughts until after about nine months, I went, well, probably maybe six, seven months, I went to talk to somebody 
And even I remember at that first session, the counsellor said, you know, it's perfectly okay to take a break and it will make you a better parent. And it was like somebody had had handed me a revelation from heaven. You know, I was <laughs> like, you can, you can take a break. Like it's okay to want to take a break. And she was like, yeah, she was like, it's such a slog with babies. Like, you know, all the nappies and the dirt and the food and the, you know, and the sleep deprivation. And it just felt so reassuring for somebody to actually say it. And I think, I think we would, we would, uh, women would benefit a lot from more conversations like that and particularly reflected more in public spaces as well and in more media outlets. Just unrealistic expectations being poured on top of us. But what you were saying there, that experience uh, during your first year of motherhood and it being okay to take a break and it being okay to ask for help, and it being okay to step away. This year prevented that for so many. Yeah, and I think, I, I don't think anyone has had it easy in COVID because I have friends who are child-free by choice and who live alone, and that's been incredibly tough. And it's also been incredibly tough to have kids and be in a house with them and never be able to really leave it um, or like only within a 5k bubble, you know, and um, not have all of your usual support systems like taken away from you in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, one of the big pieces for me has been like yourself, I gave birth under COVID the fact that those in charge of the maternity services have continued their policy around partner restrictions has been really difficult. And so much of this, like the thread through all of this from closing childcare, closing schools, no supports put in place, like our, like just even when you think about it, we're in the middle of a global health pandemic 80% of our healthcare workers are female and they took away every single childcare support from those staff without a second thought and without a backup plan. Mm. And they expect us to carry on and they expect us to do what we need to do. And so much of the global and the local national response has depended on the resilience of women to get this through. And I don't see that being recognized on any level by key decision makers. And those key decision makers are men. And I just think they are living a lot. They are living a different COVID experience than, than women. What would recognition look like for you? I think it would look like publicly funded childcare. I think it would look like the implementation of a lot of the actions that came out of the Citizens Assembly a few weeks ago. It would look like dedicated commitment to increasing the number of women at Cabinet in all different political levels from local government to uh, national level it would look like actually simply acknowledging in one of the speeches that this recession or this pandemic has hit women harder 
it would be around commissioning research to look at the impact of COVID on women. I attended a session in March with researchers in the UK and their prediction was around how much a pandemic like this can and potentially set back women's equality by 30 years. Yeah. Like we can't like I'm already I'm already done like with the level of inequality we have. I'm not going back. I want to go forward. I want to try and eradicate this. I don't want my daughters to grow up and have the same experience of the maternity services, to have the same experience where they look at politics and don't see people who look like them, to go into businesses or law or health or any of those places and see that all of the decision-making tables are still, you know, dominated by men. We can, we can do better. Like, I think one of the things that COVID has very acutely shown us is that it has held up our value system as a society and gone, I want you to really look at what you value and what you want to prioritize. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, a lot of us, sorry, are doing that on a kind of personal individual level, but then at a community and a national level, I think that that could be a really, really progressive conversation if we had the leadership for it. And I think that's where the recommendations that came out of the Citizens Assembly on gender equality last week are, or not last week, but last month are really, really exciting. The real problem here, the real reason that there needs to be genuine equality at decision-making tables is because when women aren't there, what we need is never addressed and what we need is forgotten. Absolutely. And I think that's, that is like that's something I've always known you know like you can know something you can see the facts on paper I've always been kind of you know uh, around uh, women for elections since they've set up I've worked in you know I, I'm politically active so like I know all of those stats and I know all of those figures and I fully believe that representation matters but never have I so viscerally felt it than giving birth under COVID because that experience of knowing that my experience of not having my partner there with me when I gave birth to my second girl other than for the length of the operation and a few minutes afterwards was decided by a majority of men around a table there was no other reason for it than it like you know than that gender disparity they don't have the lived experience of having somebody have their hands inside of you pulling your baby from you they don't know what it's like to recover from a section they don't know what it's like to recover from birth they don't know what it's like to deal with all of those hormones all of those you know emotions and feelings and they could make that decision and they could move on and they could, you know, get on with the next thing. And we were just left, thousands and thousands of women, just left to deal with the isolation, with trauma, with the perinatal mental health issues that that isolation has brought on us. And, you know, when you ask what does recognition look like or, you know, how do we move forward? Where are the supports for us? You know, if I hear one more person talk about GEA being back for mental health reasons, mm. where is the perinatal support for us? Where is the mental health investment for us? 
why are we not a priority? Like, and you know, when I get really salty about it, Sinead, I just think to myself, you know, we are here birthing the next generation of citizens for this country and you abandon us. This podcast is just one way that every mum can support you. Another amazing way is with our free gift bag, packed full of essentials for you and baby, including free samples of water wipes, the number one wipe against nappy rash. To receive yours, just register now on everymum.ie. There's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum. I gave birth in October. And leading into, I, I found out I was pregnant days before the first COVID case in Ireland. Um, and I went through pregnancy with the heightened fear of my health mm. and the health of the people that I loved. And that kind of trumped any um, personal feeling around my pregnancy rights or my birthing rights or my birthing needs, actually. I definitely went into a, I, I will sacrifice anything provided this pandemic goes away and I don't get sick. My baby doesn't get sick. My, my, my two-year-old doesn't get sick. My parents don't get sick. My midwife doesn't get sick. That was the, the mentality I suppose I was in. And then when it came to October and I was due to give birth, I was still there. I was still very feeling like well this is just almost I I didn't even feel what I need because I didn't ask myself what did I need because I felt there was no point in exploring that what I needed was for me to get in get my baby out and get home that was my only uh, line of sight and I understood and I hated the idea of women experiencing trauma and bad news and loss and, and miscarriage and, and scans and the, the moments that break you on your own that hurt me that hurt me so much but at a personal level as a woman who was pregnant going through it I I armored up I was ready to be like well this is just this is this is what's going on and and I will do it because it has to be done but that changed for me when there was rollout plans, mm. when there was other sectors because of commerciality being talked about, and, and so should they, they should have had a plan. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have, but it, that's when for me, it became obvious, oh, we're left out. Mm. When I felt like everybody is in, everybody is in sacrifice mode, um, and it is for the common purpose of saving lives and keeping everyone well. I was absolutely prepared to go through my maternity and my pregnancy alone. I just was. That's just where my mindset was. Here we were in a position where it was now safe. It is now safe. And still nothing was being done. Yeah, I think it's, you know, as you're talking there, so much of what you said at the beginning around kind of that hunkering down, locking and keying, you know, the restrictions and the impact on your pregnancy, survivalist mode of I can get through this, I have no option, you know, there's only one way the baby's coming out. Um, 
I I was very much like that as well at the beginning. Uh, I was a, a bit ahead of you. So I was about halfway through my pregnancy when COVID hit. And so like my anomaly scan, I had to go to on my own. Like the restrictions came in the Monday, my scan was Tuesday. And so from there on out, we kind of knew that uh, it was very much going to be quite an isolated um, affair. And that was, you know, we were kind of getting through, we were making different plans. You know, my husband's a teacher, so, you know, we were trying to see what was happening around schools reopening as well, because, you know, nobody could tell you at that time how COVID was going to impact on your pregnancy. I mean, nobody gave me any advice whatsoever throughout 20 weeks of my pregnancy. And so you're just, you're trying to do the best you can because you're like, is it too dangerous to go do the food shopping? Is it too dangerous to meet people outside? You know, very much like cocooning ourselves, particularly as it got closer and closer to the birth. But just exactly like you said, around this time last year, the government started talking about reopening society, reopening retail, shops, pubs, this whole, you know, wet pub thing came into being. And I kind of started to have a little hope and I was like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe there'll, there'll be a change. And I'm in Cork, so Cork had some of the strictest restrictions up until very, very recently. And so I was kind of watching and waiting and trying to convince myself not to have any hope because it would just kind of mess up my sort of warrior mentality that I was trying to build. Mm. And then I remember they published their living with COVID plan. And I was like, oh, it must be in here. And I read it with a fine tooth comb. And I was like, it must be in here somewhere. And in all of their 65 pages... Of here's how we're going to reopen every different sector. Here's what level one, two, three, four, five is. People can remember the levels now. They feel like so long ago. There wasn't a single mention of maternity. And that for me was just a moment of feeling like a second class citizen in this country. And I have never felt something so deep in my heart and in my soul. And it hasn't left me. I felt forgotten about. And I think one of the things I found hardest was the Dublin hospitals all changed their restrictions prior to me giving birth, but Cork didn't. And so just even to kind of feel that difference of, well, if I'd have given birth in Dublin, my husband would have been able to visit me, but because I'm in Cork, somehow it's different. And so there was all of these things happening. And so for me, that kind of, that moment happened in the first reopening and then as we were kind of uh, going through the summer and I was in that kind of fourth trimester period like you know you just you just try and forget about it and get through it mm. and um then in September a woman set up a petition and I remember I signed the petition and I emailed her and I was like I don't want anybody to ever go through what I went through how can I help and that's kind of where a group of us ended up getting together and starting the Better Maternity Care campaign. I don't know if you remember this, Sinead, there was a huge outpouring on Liveline around pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. And that moved them to eventually kind of put some compassionate arrangements in around pregnancy loss. Mm. But even that has been left out of the new national policy. Women are still finding out about pregnancy loss on their own. Um, and 
I think, you know, when you've been through that or, you know, close friends have been through that, you know the impact that has on a family. Do you think it is a, is a, it, it goes back to a time in Ireland where motherhood, pregnancy, birth, women's issues, periods, menopause, ovulation, everything that happens to us is silenced, hidden, go away and just deal with it yourselves. Don't complain. You know, it's, it's the most natural thing in the world. Get on with it. You know, even breastfeeding, don't show your boobs. You know, I don't want to say shame anymore, but just definitely a culture not that long ago of, and you talk about, you know, the, you know, generations of women entering work. Well, probably, you know, the generation of women who first started talking about periods are also now the generation reaching menopause. Up until that, it just, again, nothing was talked about. Contraception, the pill, having control, having autonomy, having a say. I think it's very much related to a culture in both kind of wider society, like based on everything you were talking about, about a lack of openness around women's bodies. Um, you know, like there are still people who, if you said period or vagina to them, would visibly shrink away from you. Um, so there's all of that that we're grappling with in society at large, which is, you know, we've gone from a very closed society of, you know, sending women who got pregnant when they weren't married two laundries you know which is in our lifetime there was one in Cork City open while I was a child I'm not that old and so we've gone from that really closed society to a much more open much more considered society but at a rate of knots for a lot of people and people are at different stages of the journey on that in general society and then you have organizations and they all move so much slower than general society. So if we're still struggling with it in general society, you can be guaranteed the institutions that underpin our society are moving at an even slower rate. So a lot of these issues around, I suppose, women being centered in the maternity services was very much a work in progress before COVID. And like, I'm not an expert in this area, but I'm an expert in it in that I have been through it and I've given birth twice. So my lived experience and the lived experience of lots of women makes us experts in it. But yet that is totally dismissed because we lack medical training or because we don't have a title. And there is like in every element of our society, I'm going to use the big words now, you know, patriarchy. There is that culture of men know best. I don't feel like I was ever prioritised in the maternity services in Ireland. That's a very personal feeling. I don't think every woman feels like that. And I think that's part of the reason it's so hard to make any progress in this area because if you have a straightforward pregnancy and a straightforward birth and you're home a day or two after you give birth and there's no complications like you've okay there might have been one or two things maybe you didn't like 
but in by and large you had a positive empowering experience in your home and then you go and have another baby or you don't and then you're finished with the maternity services mm-hmm. and there's no reason to kind of think any more in depth about it because you just assume that everybody has that experience because you had a positive experience so that's one cohort of people who go through the maternity services you know i don't think it's the vast majority but it's probably a slight majority have that experience and then there are lots of other people who go through the maternity services and they have a negative experience or in a lot of cases a really traumatic experience and then in order for progress to be made around the issues that people had it requires them to tell their story of a really traumatic experience and that's what progress relies on and so like naturally enough women don't want to do that you know they might be even finding it difficult to access that support on an individual level and then you are asking them to come out and tell the world about it to tell decision makers about it to tell the doctors that treated them about it you might still be hoping to go back into maternity services there's a fear factor and so people don't speak out and so then how do we achieve progress and i have had guests on who have gone through the maternity care system before covid during covid and while i fully support how difficult and challenging it is for women to share the stories that have happened to them Um, it is so critically important that they do because it is helping those that don't have a voice and that are feeling quite alone. But similarly, it is important to share experiences that have been positive because there is so much anxiety in women who have yet to have their experience yet that they're almost preempting it to be negative. They're building up to this trauma that may not occur and i think giving reassurance around who's doing it well or or what to ask for or what to look for or what to advocate for and what to watch out for and what to say to say no about or what does you know how to say i'm not comfortable with this or this isn't good enough or this doesn't feel right and, and in both instances, I think it comes down to one thing and it is around empowering women mm-hmm. to know what they deserve and when they're feeling it and experiencing it to, to, to live it and believe it and when they're not to seek better. I think you're so right, Sinead, like there's so much actually in what you've just said there that encapsulates it all, but also like you know we're we're probably near the end now but like to just delve like right into and you know just like by way of example I mentioned at the start of the podcast that you know I came out of the birth of my first daughter kind of questioning why I didn't advocate for myself and why I didn't push so like the moment what actually happened was I had just had, I won't go into the whole thing, but I had just had my waters broken. I was 10 days overdue. My other waters had broken 36 hours previously. And then they broke the second waters because who knew you had two sets of waters? Like, you know, basic things like that that you don't know. 
and so they had just broken my second set of waters they knew the baby was the wrong way around they knew she was really big and they knew she was too high up in me so they use a scale of plus three and minus three like minus three is the baby is out of you and she was at plus three so like she hadn't moved a jot and the consultant kind of waltzed in and he uh, kind of you know talked to the other doctor and he was just like so we'll start you on the oxytocin we'll do the induction and I was like hold on a second like you've just told me all of mm. these things why are you going to induce me like this you know this is surely going to end up as a section and he just went oh you don't want that and it was the tone of his voice it was the dismissiveness of it and so like I remember myself and my husband you know the doctors went off to fill in their the file or the notes or whatever and I turned to my husband and I said you know from looking at both their faces that they both know I'm going to end up as a section and and I was so exhausted and I was so tired and I felt like because like like everybody does I think they're doctors they must know maybe there's a reason for it and so I went through a horrendous induction and a horrendous night and 15 hours later sure enough by emergency section my 10 pound 11 ounce baby was born and so it's funny if I had known then what I know now about maternity services and around language and different things, like I know you watched the Instagram live we did the other night. I have spent three years saying to myself, why didn't I advocate for myself? Now I know there's a thing called the HSE informed consent policy where they were meant to go through with me the pros and cons of an induction and the pros and cons of a section, which they never did with me. And now I have the question of, well, why did they coerce me into that induction? And having a language around so much of this, being able to advocate for yourself at appointments, nobody teaches you this. Nobody tells you the language around this. And so if I do one thing that's, you know, kind of, I suppose, demystifying some of that for people, if it means having to relive that experience, like it's really hard sometimes, but I just don't want somebody else to go through that. I don't want another woman to come out of it thinking I did something wrong. And I think, you know, that's one of the things we do really well as women is we look after each other and we talk to each other and we share experiences. And that's why I say yes to these podcasts when I get asked to do them, because I think it's just really, really important that women can hear the multitude of experiences. Because I always say to people, that was my experience. Mm. It's not the experience. There is no one singular experience. Um, and I think that's one thing that we have to try and get away from is that there is one sort of mainstream experience of of anything to do with being a woman, but particularly around pregnancy and birth and motherhood. There is a multitude of experiences. There is a spectrum. All are valid. All are important. And you're no less a woman or a mother, you know, depending on where you fall on it. And so let's move forward on that basis. What have you learned from seeing what happens when women unify? 
oh, like more of it. Like, you know, who wants to join a women's political party with me? Like, I just think it is phenomenal when you see women working together. It, it is so enriching, you know, in the way, like it's a different way of working. Like my professional life is still very much male dominated. And like, there's a lot of willy waving still all of the time. <laughs> and, you know, I just, I never really experienced that with women. It's very much about how do we get there? There's a lot more receptiveness to being challenged. That's not universal either. There are a lot of women with internalized misogyny and who feel like they have to be even, you know, bigger and more macho than the guys, you know, because of whatever way they came up and through the system. But in general, though, I think it's really transformative when women come together. So I'm all for it. And I would also love to see more women get involved in politics. It's really, really important. Like women can't afford to be disengaged from the political system at the moment. Um, it's really, really important that we center ourselves in it um, because we see, like we've seen what's happened over the last 14 months when we're not centered in it. When women are well, the village is well. That is what we need to focus on. And we are the worst at not looking after ourselves so that we look after everybody else. But then it comes crumbling down if, if the village elders aren't returning the favor. Um, and that's what I think it's about. It's, it's about recognizing the power that you have at a time where you feel most vulnerable. And in pregnancy, birth, postpartum, returning to work, figuring out this new identity for who you are and how you can achieve at both aspects of your world. That is when women feel most vulnerable, most silenced, most insecure, most ignored and having to just put up with whatever they're given and be grateful for it. Yeah. But actually there is a different way and there's a better way. And because of women like you, I'm so hopeful that more women can feel that power and just start asking for what they need. That's actually all it is. It's no harder than that. Just ask for what you need. And if the door is closed, then it wasn't your room. Mm. Don't walk through it. There are lots of other rooms out there. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons you see women do things differently when they come back after having children is because the system is set up for a family with one breadwinner and one stay-at-home parent, which is, you know, we know how gendered that image is. Families don't look like that anymore in Ireland. And so the system doesn't suit our society anymore. So we have to now look and say like we've really I think thought a lot about how we want our society to operate during COVID and I think now we need to replace kind of our whole system of work and politics and all of our institutions we need to get them to catch up to where we are at as families much much quicker. Thank you for doing what you're doing. No problem. Thank my little girl because she wakes me at five o'clock every morning. So I've usually got an hour spare before the rest of the world wakes up. I hope that what, you know, 
I really hope that these conversations and these missions and these movements that you're, you're so involved in, you know, I, I have hopes for our four girls between us and the world that they're going to enter into um, and the type of maternity care or the type of, of equality and opportunity that they're going to have as a result of the, um, the, leaning, <laughs> the leaning on power sources that uh you're doing right now so i really i I genuinely want to say thank you and i hope your girls give you enough space so that you can keep doing it for us thanks a million for having me on Sinead as well and for amplifying like it can be daunting i think to to kind of i suppose hold a mirror for women to kind of really look at their power and you know it's a conversation that we're often not comfortable with because we have been so i suppose subtly taught for decades that you know men are leaders and you know if you get too big for your boots i'll cut you down there because you're too bossy you're too loud you're just too much if i had money for every time told me somebody told me i was too bossy i was too this i was too that and now i'm just like yeah i'm too much and you're too scared and if you're intimidated by me that's your issue not mine um, but it's very daunting for us as a collective of women, I think, to really kind of have that conversation and to realise as well, we have so much power and we have a responsibility about how we use it as well. And it's it's great to have an extended space to be able to have that discussion. And um, so thank you so much for inviting me as well and for inviting your audience to listen to my rant. Inviting my audience to ascend, because that's what I want us to do as women. Thank you, and I will let you have an early night, because you're up at five. Thanks a million, Sinead. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, and to Waterwipes, the number one wipe against nappy rash, for their support. Proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, water wipes are made with just two ingredients and are 100% biodegradable, plastic-free and compostable wipe. And the winners of three National Parenting Product Awards 2020, including Best Baby Wipes. So you can do what's best for your baby's skin and help protect the planet. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Share this episode across social and get in touch with every mum and this week's guest at Women Ascend on Instagram. Talk to you again next week.